Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. And I'll turn there as you turn there. See, I, I went ahead and just marked it in my book, in my Bible, so I find it real quick. Jesus, uh, founder and perfecter of our faith, is the title headline I have on chapter 12. We have for the past eight weeks now, this will be the eighth week, um, read through these two verses and attempted to pull every gem from the soil of God's word that he has for us. God's word is sometimes it is much like digging, like 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 archaeology. You're going through so much, and in in in, in archaeology or any kind of a dig, really, you go through a lot of dirt to get to that which you desire. And so sometimes Bible just Bible reading in general can be, you know, I just I just read this. I don't know what I read, but know this: you're getting you're on a journey. You're going and you're getting closer to those things that are, are necessary to feed your soul, to feed your spirit, to strengthen you as a follower of Jesus. you got to remember that everything that the Lord shows you through his word is to make you more like his son. Not just to inspire you, not just to show that you are loved or encouraged. I mean, those are good things, um, but that's not the end all. The end all is to make you like his son, to make you holy. This is why sometimes we go through trials. It's it's meant to to strengthen us, not to destroy us. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Look into Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and here's our last, our last sermon for this series, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's pray. Jesus, we praise you. You are, you are everything. You, you're not just a God or, or a good way. You're the way. You're the truth. You're the life. And so we pray today, Lord, you know, for me, I'm just a, I'm, like your word says, I'm a broken clay pot with a, with the message inside that is the most valuable, that is that is like gold. It's not my message. I didn't create it. You did. So I just ask that as I as I preach today, as I proclaim the gospel of your son Jesus, that the power would not be my power or how how well I can craft a sermon or how how this or that, that it would all be you. That even in spite of my uh, my frailties, that the powerful message of your son Jesus would go out and and, and challenge your people today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So here, here's what I want to, um, uh, I'll put it this way, this is what I want to attack today. Um, we as Christians especially love security. And we live under this false pretense that there is some life, some plane that we can reach where we will be completely secure and never feel pain or loss ever again. And we live under this illusion, almost like an ostrich with its head in the ground. We think that, that there's this place that people get to where life is no longer like the life we've known. It'll just be easy from here on out. And I'm here. All I want to do today is be like a, a pin and just pop that bubble, just burst it. So that you might know that that idea of security, 
that which your flesh, your flesh, your evil, sinful flesh is desiring does not exist here on this plane. Now, there are some people, you look at them and you might say, they have an easy life. I, I assure you, if you walked a day in their shoes, if you knew their mind and the turmoil that they're going through, they would argue with you. Now, your problems might be different. That I'll give you. But rest assured, there is nobody on this planet right now who lives secure and free from the problems that sin have brought into this world. The Bible says that, that even creation groans and cries out to be, to be fixed, to be corrected, to be changed back to the way it was. To, to, to not feel this sense of fear that is so prevalent. And church, I'm also here to burst any bubble that you might have. It's, ball, it's a bubble bursting day, I guess. Um, that evil exists in the world. Evil absolutely is here, and it looks to devour you, to take you down. You, especially Christians. Now, if you're not a Christian today, I'm here to warn you, you've been getting off easy. You might think, oh, those Christians, blah, blah, blah. Here to tell you, if you're not a Christian, you've been living the easy life. The Christian steps into the lion's den knowing that the lions may devour them. Knowing that life may come and take from them something they hold very dear. And so at the heart of our flesh is this deep-seated need to feel secure, to no longer lose. If you, <clears throat> excuse me, if you go and you apply for a loan, go to a bank, apply for a loan, there's a whole process, right? There are underwriters. There are, there are people who analyze your credit history because they want security that they're going to get their money back. Have any of you, and I'm going to totally go to another end of the spectrum here, have any of you have ever had to trap or catch a mouse in your home? Mice, when they leave, when they run, so fearful they are, they will only run along if they absolutely have to. They'll go another route. But if they have the opportunity, they will always go along a wall because they will have that sense of security knowing what's on at least one side of them. And so if you want to catch them, that's where you put the trap and the stuff. My point is this. Everything, everyone, everybody, all things is looking for security. You ever come along, you know, a dog that's been kicked too much? They recoil, they go back, they get the hackles, and you're like, I'm just walking by. But they have been hurt, so they want security. They go, they hide, they make themselves look bigger. Cats do the same thing. Lots of animals do the same. They run, they hide because of security. People do the same thing. Some people, they get so caught up in their routine. Their routine is their sense of security. If I do this and this and this and this and all these things happen, then I will be okay and everything will be fine. But that, that's a false sense of security. And what I want to bring to you today is the real biblical security. There is security to be found. It's just not found in the world. It's just not found in something that you can go and buy or something you can go and do or some place you can be a part of, some part of the world you can move to. You move from here to another place, your problems will follow you. I moved from California to New York. Guess what? I have the same problems here that I had there, just with crazier weather. That's the only difference. 
So security can be found. It's just not found in the world. Think about men like Pastor Saeed. Um, Pastor Saeed is a man, uh, an Iranian-American, <clears throat> who went to his uh, place of origin. I don't know that he was born there, but Iranian by descent, went to Iran to start an orphanage in the name of Jesus, and it was arrested for preaching a religion that was contrary to Islam. And so now this man who was doing a wonderful thing, an orphanage, are you kidding me, for kids who don't have parents? And he got arrested? I mean, if you read the Bible, you'd be hard-pressed to find a place where God does not command us to help the orphan and the fatherless. And this man went to do that, and now he's in an Iranian prison for doing that. All security that maybe he thought he had or didn't think that, I don't know his mindset, but anything that, that our country, our government, or just basic human beings could provide is not there. No security. Now, it's a drastic situation, but I want you to know that his plight is not uncommon. It may, might be uncommon in our own country, but not worldwide. Do you know that, according to Voice of the Martyrs, that more people have died for the Christian faith in the 20th and the 21st century than the 19th centuries before that combined? Christian persecution is alive and well today as much as it ever has been. People, real people like you and I, they're, they're, they, they might have different skin color, they might live in a different area, but they are dying, losing their life simply because they believe in Jesus. Something that, that we take so for granted every day. We get to be Christians and nobody really bothers us except for the, 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 the jerks on TV that want to make fun of us. Big deal. So they want to say that Christians are this or that, whatever. That's not persecution. I'm not losing my life over that. The security that the world offers is smoke and mirrors. It's false, and it does not exist. Every fortune comes crumbling down. Every empire gets overturned. Every household gets turned upside down eventually. Because life is a thing, and sin has happened. Sin has messed everything up. From that moment where, where Eve ate the fruit and her husband ate the fruit, everything's been messed up. And so the security we now have, the security that the world does not have, that is exclusive to Christians. Anybody can become a Christian, but this is exclusively given to Christians. This sense of security is found in Hebrews 12 and 2. That Jesus is now seated at the right hand at, of the throne of God, the throne of his Father. Here's what that means. Jesus is sitting. So what? You sit down when things are done, right? Ladies, and I don't mean to be sexist here. Maybe I am being sexist. I apologize if I am. But ladies, I see my wife do this. If the dishes aren't done, you don't sit down, right? I mean, you, you just keep going till they're done. Or you keep, you keep encouraging your husband till it's done. Right? Because you have a job to finish. You go to work tomorrow. You won't just stop at 10 or 12 or 2. You'll just, um, you know. No, there's still work to do. You do the work until it's finished, and when it's finished, then you rest. Some of you have a hard time resting. Whole nother sermon. 
At some point you have to stop working and rest. And that's a good thing, and that's a God thing, and you should allow that rest to happen. But once the work is done, then you sit because you are done. Jesus has done all things that are needed for you to be reconciled to him and then to live a life that grows continuously after him, sanctifying you, making you holy. All that is needed, you can now trust the Lord because he has done everything. Before Christ, before the cross, you were separated from God. You and him were not pals, not friends. The Bible says there's enmity between you and him. War, division. You were enemies with God. But through the blood of Jesus shed on the cross of Calvary, that made propitiation. That satisfied the wrath of God. Understand this. No matter what the world tries to paint God as, he has wrath for the unjust. And if you are unjust, you will incur God's wrath someday. But praise God that he would rather die on your behalf than exercise his rightful, uh, uh, rightful and, and just uh, way of, of punishing sinners. He'd rather die for you than do that. He would rather himself come down in human form and die on our behalf so that we could be reconciled to him, so that we could become alive in Christ. That's why we sing that song, Made Alive. We've been made alive in Jesus. We've been born again. And now Romans 8 and 1 says that that condemnation, that wrath for Christians is no longer there. It's been satisfied in Jesus. Now what we have is rebuke, correction, and discipline. If you continue in, in Hebrews chapter 12, the writer will go on to say that because we are his sons, because we are his daughters, his children, he disciplines us because he loves us. If you've ever been a parent or have ever been in, in the care of a small child, you know you don't just allow them to do what they want. Why? Because they'll do stuff that will hurt them or others, and you have to discipline them. You have to show them the right way. It's not enough to just say, you're bad. That's an awful way to parent. It's to get down to them. Go and talk to them. This is We do not do this. You have hurt somebody. And you discipline them. And there might be consequences, but the point is to get them to no longer do that thing. And most people, children included, don't care if they're bad. All you're doing is giving them shame, and we talked about that last week. And shame can be a motivator, but in the wrong way. And that's, God doesn't shame us into following Jesus. He forgives us and frees us of our shame so that we might follow Jesus. And so this wrath that God has, this just wrath, you read Jesus, he talks about where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. You go to the book of Revelation, everything's gone crazy. It's just wrath of God poured out. Not for the Christian. Now, I'm not here to scare you into heaven. I don't think that that, that your best play this morning is to just sign up for fire insurance and just say, you know, I just don't want to go to hell. I don't like that wrath of God thing, so sign me up to be a Christian. No, the point is this, is that we have to see it all. We have to see the whole entire message that yes, there is wrath, but through God's grace, we can be forgiven. That we can repent of our sins. Some folks get it backwards. I'll repent of my sins to receive forgiveness. No, no, no. You've been forgiven that you might be able to repent. 
Get those two in order. Because you've been forgiven, you now you now know through the Holy Spirit, I must repent. I have to repent. I have to go back to God. I have to walk away from sin. I have to walk away from shame. I have to walk away from my past. And I have to walk towards Him. Because you know now, you've been given eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to receive the truth of the gospel of Jesus. All because of what Jesus has done on the cross. No other act, no other thing could, could create that reconciliation between you and God. Everything is done. If you go back to the book of Exodus, and you don't have to go there now, but please write in your notes, you know, maybe read uh, the Exodus of the Israelites from Egypt into the Promised Land. They conti Moses continuously ran into this problem. You know, the Israelites watched God do miraculous things to free them. To free them from this enslavement to, to Egypt and Pharaoh. He watched these ten plagues through Aaron and Moses transpire. Frogs and water turning to blood and, 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 and finally culminating with the death of the firstborn of every Egyptian that wasn't under the blood of the sacrificed lamb. And he watches or they watch, I should say, them. Moses lead them out, and not just lead them out, lead them out in prosperity, and not just in prosperity, but then watching the, the, the Red Sea just come crashing down on the Egyptian army. And, and there's great rejoicing, but it seems like just the very next page, the very it seems like the very next day, it may have been weeks or months, but it seems like almost as soon as they could, they began to grumble and complain. That God had brought them out just to simply have them die in the wilderness because they became hungry. You ever been hangry? That's like a thing now where you're hungry, you're so hungry, you get angry, you lose all rationale. Like you will literally punch somebody in the face for a cheeseburger. Like you're just that hungry. You, people talk to you and you snap at them. Don't don't get all uppity with me. I know you guys have been there. You get hangry and you're like, I have to eat. And then you eat and it's like, ah. Oh everything's fine you get your cherub-like demeanor back everything's fine okay the israelites went through that by like millions they're like we don't have meat at least in egypt where we in, were enslaved and they were killing our children at least we had onions and leeks and soup and stuff like that to eat can you imagine being in such a place where you romanticize your past like that I know none of you do that, but you romanticize your past. You don't see the enslavement. You just see how you were you, – you just see the flesh fulfillment. You don't really see the bondage. Yeah, that's what they did, and they continued to grumble and grumble and grumble, and many people lost their lives as a direct result of disobedience. Here's what the problem was. They, tr they saw what the Lord had did and then couldn't trust them for the future, couldn't trust him for the future. God brought us out of this, but oh, he can't give us any food. Doesn't make any sense. We can't, we, we can't poke fun at the Israelites because that's us. We do the same thing. God saved us from the wrath of hell and his judgment, but he's not going to help me financially. He's not going to help my health. He's not going to see me through this valley. We trust that he's done something that is the greatest thing, but then we can't trust him for these things that really do fall short. They really are much less than the salvation of our souls. The security that I give to you today, that the Bible preaches to you today, is the security found in Jesus and what he has done alone. Through faith, you can be saved. 
And for the rest of your life, you will have the honor and the privilege to walk after Christ, to walk in his footsteps, to carry your cross that he has designed for you to carry for the rest of your life. You have the honor and the privilege to do that. Not just the command, the privilege, the honor, the, the, the joy that comes from it. James chapter 1 starts off with a kick in the teeth. Consider it all joy when you go through trials of various kinds. Consider it all joy when things happen, when, when you go through pain and agony. You know, I don't, here in, in chapters, or excuse me, verses 1 and 2, the writer of Hebrews says that, that despising the shame and for the joy set apart for him, Jesus endured the cross. I don't think it was the joy of walking and carrying the cross up the hill, up Golgotha, beaten and broken and bloody. I think it was the joy of what he would accomplish. The winning of souls, the bringing back many sons and daughters to God. You are, If you are carrying your cross today, it's probably not a joy to you. And I'm not going to argue with that. What I'm saying is that the what will be produced in carrying that cross, enduring that pain, willfully counting it joy to go through trials of various kinds, will produce joy in your life. You will now be filled with the joy of the Lord that goes beyond any understanding. And people will just assume, and this is what we do, just put yourself on the other side, people will just assume that everything is perfect in your life. And then you'll be able to open up to them and say, no, it's far from it. This person has died. This person has cancer. I don't know how I'm going to pay my bills. My car won't run anymore. My children are going nuts. My parents are going nuts. The government's going nuts. And you'll just you'll just share these things and you'll say, but at the end of it all, Jesus is in control. See, right now we have a group of men and women who are doing nothing more than trying to make us feel secure so that we might vote for them. They are making us promise after promise after promise. They are taking jabs at one another to poke holes in the security that they offer. And they and you have these, these men know what they're doing. These women know what they're doing. And their end goal is just to be the leader of this nation. It doesn't the fulfillment of these promises will probably never happen. If they do, it will be miraculous. See, for me as a Christian, I don't worry about who will be in office. I don't go home at night and pray, Lord, please let Ben Carson win. Lord, please let Rand Paul win. Lord, please have something happen to Hillary. I don't, I don't, I don't do any of that. Do you know why? Because even if Hillary becomes our president, she is put there by the Lord. It is under, it's part of his will to have somebody be a president whom a lot of people aren't going to like. And you might say, no, he'd never do that. Just look back at the first 42 or 43 of them and tell me where he hasn't already done that time and time again. Go to a place like Cuba or go to a place like Russia or go to a place like uh, uh, Iran and, and see how the Lord has placed evil men in places to fulfill his will somehow. The security is not from government or elected officials or people put in power. It's the one who controls all those things, and that's the Lord. So at night, I rest pretty easy knowing that whoever's put there will do the will of God whether they want to or not. They will do unknowingly. They could be the most ungodly person on the face of the earth. doesn't matter. 
God is still in control. He's still on the throne with Jesus seated at his right hand. And neither one of them are freaking out. Neither one of them are running around trying to run a campaign for this person or that person. And we do this every four years. And, and, and we as Christians, you've got to understand, we are targets. Because we are so large in numbers, these men and women know if they can get our vote, they might be able to win this election. And so they will promise us and tell us everything. And so you must, as Christians, exercise holy discernment. You must seek the Lord for discernment as to who to vote for and then the ability to just be comfortable when whoever gets in gets in. And that's the same for the boss at your job. That's the same for when your spouse is not doing what you want. That's the same for when your kids aren't listening to you. God is in control. At the end of all of this, your security is found in the God who's sitting and resting because all has been done. Nothing else needs to be done. So now it's time for you to get up. And in the book of James, if you'll turn there with me, James 2 and 14 says this, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of them says to uh, one of you says to them, "Go in peace, be warmed and filled," without giving them the things needed for the body that is good, uh, uh, excuse me, what is needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, "You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works." In verse 19, I want us to focus on just a little bit here. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Now, something that we Gentiles miss in this, okay? We're going to put on our, our Jewish thinking caps for just a moment. For the Jewish folks, there are certain prayers that they would pray daily, routinely, ritualistically. And one of them is called the Shema, which if you grew up where I grew up, that could be also be the name of one of your uncles. Shema, the Shema is a prayer found in the book of Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. James is preaching to a primarily Jewish audience initially. The letter was written to Jewish folks who, who understood this. When James says, you believe that God is one, he's referencing, this is inference to the Shema. That they would have prayed that morning. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. He points out, look, the, the demons, the demons know this. The demons know the Shema. The demons know that God is one. And they shudder. It freaks them out. They know the power of God. That does not make them a Christian. That just makes them they have knowledge of it, but it has not changed them. And a lot of Christians are the same way. I have faith. Well, what do you do because of that faith? Nothing. Well, then do you really have faith is what James is saying. Someone comes along and needs something, and you're just like, oh, good luck with that. And James says, where's your faith in there? You're not willing to do something based on your faith. Maybe you don't have faith. Even the demons have that type of faith that believe that God is God but don't do anything about it. That's demonic faith. And that's the last thing we want to have. 
That's sort of the point. And so the point is, now we should be doing something, not to be saved, but because we have been saved. We have faith in Jesus as our risen Savior. How does that hash out in our lives? How do we see people now? Are we going to serve them? Are we going to love them? Are we going to judge them? Are we going to kick them while they're down? Are we going to just hope that they don't bother us? Are we going to hope that they don't call us to move their apartment? Are we going to hope that because they're hungry, they don't call us for food because we have money set aside for this or that and we don't want to put up with we don't want to we don't want to we don't want to lose anything? See, security will say, no, 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 you you have to hold on to, you have to just grab it, hold it, don't let go, you have to have it, and then you'll be secure. And the Bible says, no, 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 open your hands, open your arms, love, be vulnerable. Not just be in community with people who are like-minded and, and believers, but go to places and sit down with sinners and have dinner with them and have a meal with them and show them Jesus. See, a lot of what we see in the media now, we see Christians who are using their faith as a as a baseball bat to beat people into submission. And, and we were told by Jesus that that the world will know we're Christians by our love. And sometimes love comes with a stern word. When you have to tell somebody their sin is sin, that's not going to be really taken well every time. You have to be ready for the fact that they might say, no, you're wrong, and may even have names for you, and may stop being friends or, or, or acquaintances with you. Because, because people like their sin sometimes. But we have to, as Christians now, you and I in South Bay Chapel, we have to decide how are we going to best glorify Jesus in every circumstance and situation. If we have to declare that somebody is in sin, we've got to make sure, Jesus said, that the plank in our own eye has been dealt with first. It doesn't mean that the speck in our, in our neighbor's eye is good or acceptable or pleasing to God. It just means we've got to make sure we ourselves are above reproach. And if we can't, then we come in, hey, guess what? I'm a hypocrite. But guess what? We're both sinning. <laughs> You're sinning and I'm sinning. And you have a speck in your eye and I have a plank in my eye. And we both got to deal with this. And I'm here to help you and, and I'm no better than you. We just need Jesus. And this is how, this is how we will preach the gospel in a place and in a culture where they know the name of Jesus, but they know not the power that is found in him alone, the power to be forgiven. We, we live in the midst of one of the most spiritualized cultures ever, but none of it's pointed towards Jesus. It's pointed towards everything else. All we've got to do is proclaim the gospel, that though I was lost, I have been found, that I was once a sinner, but now I've been saved, not by my own works, but by the works of Jesus on the cross. That message is timeless, that message is also timely. That message is the one that we should be seeking to share any chance we get. I, I once heard it said that, you know, telling people that they might go to hell um, usually is not well received, right? Have you ever told anybody to go to hell? They don't really like that. Um, I certainly never have. Um, not this week. Um, that was a joke. You guys can laugh at those. Um but there are times where you have to share the gospel, and, and the truth is you're telling them without repentance, without receiving that forgiveness, without acknowledging that you're a sinner, then you will one day go to hell. It's okay to do that if you're not 
if you're not happy that they're going to go there. Does that make sense? To 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 find joy that they will go there one day. If we aren't if we aren't worried that our neighbor will be in hell one day, then there's something wrong with us. And so we don't all go out and start churches. We don't all go out and become missionaries in the third world. We just go out and we share the gospel with our kids. We share the gospel with our spouses. We share the gospel at work when we have opportunity. We're respectful. If your job tells you that you can't uh, proselytize at work, then you invite somebody and you go and take them for coffee somewhere. And you say, okay, or let's go out of break. Let's go. Let's just go somewhere else. You know, can I invite you to church? Things like that. You'd be respectful, respectful of, of people. It doesn't mean that they're right. And you also pray for opportunity. And if you do have to cross that line, then just be prepared for the consequences. If you lose your job over that, so be it. Because your security is not found in your job. Your security is not found in your family. Your, secure, your security is not found in that you're an American. There was a time and an age where, where that seemed to be all the security anybody needed. And that's all been dashed. And I think that's all been dashed not by the enemy. I think that's the Lord's doing. I think he's taught us that being an American is not any kind of security that saves us any more than Jesus' blood. I want security, and you want security. And we can get it from the dirty, polluted well of the world, or we can get it from the clean, pure cistern, the living water that is Jesus. And if you want that security, I'm here to tell you that all of your faith must be placed in him. All guarantees are found in him. All security are, is found in him. Not in, in his servants, not in his church, in him. Not in the world, not in their organization, not in their cultures, not in their traditions, but in Jesus, the real person of Jesus. And so today's the day for you to take that leap, to go forward and give your life to Christ in a whole new way. My favorite analogy, and this is what I'll leave you with before we go eat, because I know some of you are hungry. <clears throat> it's one of the only – you can go – and this is like a pastor secret. You can go to the Bible bookstore, and you can find illustration books. So when your pastor has like this really – oh, that was a really interesting uh, illustration. Well, he got it from a book, um, like a chicken soup for the soul type book, but book nonetheless. This is one that – it's the only one I ever used from those books. Is the rest of them are cheesy, and this one's cheesy, but I don't care. So a man is going to walk a tightrope across Niagara Falls, and he's going to push a wheelbarrow, and he tells his friend, do you think I can make it? And the friend says, yeah, I think you can make it. So a wheelbarrow man says, well, then get in the wheelbarrow. The point of that story is, is if you truly believe in something, that you will put your whole life into it. If you don't believe it, then you're, the proof is kind of there. If you're not willing to give yourself, then... You probably don't believe it like you think you do. Romans 12 and 1 says that, or excuse me, Romans 12 and 1 and verse 2 says that we should present ourselves as living sacrifices. We taught on that on Wednesday. Living sacrifices, they lay themselves down on the altar, and they don't have any, they don't have any say. When we can pray, Lord, please have mercy, grace, all that, but at the end of the day, we're living sacrifices. You do what you want. And the good news is that that our God is 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 loving and kind, and even when even when there's pain in the sanctification, it's for a purpose. You look back and say, "Oh, that's what that's for." You know, Jesus carries those scars right into heaven. 
you look at those scars, we see, oh, that was worth something. That, that meant something. There was a purpose and a reason for those scars. And so the wounds you go through, they'll, be, they'll scar up. They'll make you stronger. They'll give you stories to share. But in the end, are you going to get in the wheelbarrow? Are you going to give your life to Christ? Let's stand and pray. Because Jesus has done all that is needed, we can find security in that. He is not worried. He does not fret. Because there's nothing outside of his reach. There's nothing outside of what needed to be done. He's already done that. He has seated the right hand of his Father. He's taken the shame. He's taken the guilt. He's taken the condemnation all upon himself for you. And so now the, the challenge is for you to respond in worship. Let's pray. Jesus, you are calling us to trust you. You are calling us to have faith in you. And Lord, we're, we're just going to be real honest with you. That's hard. We are a people who have been hurt. We have been burned. We have been taken advantage of. We have been sinned against. We have sinned against others. Lord, there's just so much. We could go on and on, list after list, example after example of people who have hurt us or people that we've hurt ourselves. And now you ask us to come to you to have faith in you and to trust you when all we know is people taking advantage of that same very trust. But Lord, you've also given us your word. You've given us your word and you've given us your son. That no matter what trial we go through, there will be a purpose and a plan for it. That every wound that we've been dealt will eventually become a scar that praises, your, that praises you, that, that brings glory to your son. That every experience, every valley we've walked will someday be a help for another person in that similar valley. Lord, help us. Help our unbelief. Help our lack of trust. Help us to see the assurance and the security found in you alone. That you indeed are seated at the right hand of your Father, interceding for your children. And Lord, I'm asking that as this week moves on, that you would show us the frailty of the security found in the world. That you'd make it real to us. If we've walked out of here and thought, no, the world, there's security, there's money, there's this, there's that. Just show us, Lord. Show us the frailty of it. Show us how in an instant wealth can be gone. Show us how in an instant life can be turned upside down. Many of us, Lord, we've already learned that lesson and we've learned it the hard way. We've gone to the doctor and heard the prognosis of cancer. We've, we've turned on the television and seen our 4OK has, has tanked. We've, we've, we've opened up the newspaper and seen that another meth lab has been found. Lord, the, we know if we have any illusion, though, Lord, please take that away. And we, we find that these hands you've given us are meant to hold on to you and not the things of this world. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.